I feel like I'm going to have years of improvement. You know, my favorite hashtag is faster as a master, and, uh, and that's what I'm going for. Welcome to the ShakeOut Podcast. I'm your host, Kate Van Buskirk. With the race season in a state of upheaval, more and more runners are testing their limits in solo efforts. One of these runners is Windsor, Nova Scotia's Paula James. The 46-year-old didn't let her spring race cancellation derail her plans to showcase her fitness. Last weekend, she ran 2.47.50 in her unofficial and solo marathon debut. This week, we speak with Paula about her evolution from a sprinter to a roadrunner and about her lifelong love affair with the sport. So I was a sprinter in high school, running 200, 400, 800, and went to Dalhousie University. I started at Dal in 92, and I graduated in 96. And at Dal, I ran uh, the 4 by 4 the 4 by 8 the 600. So I was a, a long sprinter. And um, I was really lucky at the time I was at Dal. I was there with a, a great group of other uh, women, and we had some amazing relay teams. Um, we were a small East Coast school and did really well at that time for, for our school. We won, well, I was there, I think, six um, national relay medals. And uh, I won four national 600-meter uh, medals. So in the four, right, four, the 800, and the 600, we sort of brought the uh, School of Dow to the uh, forefront of uh, middle to long sprinting, I guess we'll call it. Um, but I was not on the route to make national team. I was a very good university runner, but I was not Olympic bound. So after university, there's not a lot in terms of track and field, or there wasn't in Nova Scotia in terms of track and field for somebody who wasn't, uh, you know, going to be on a national team. So I ran a little bit uh, the year after university, but that was about it. My uh, racing career sort of ended in 96, 97. Paula got married in 1995, started a career and a family. In her words, she moved on to the next stage of her life, which didn't involve much running. It wasn't until 10 years later that she realized how little exercise she was getting, especially compared to how active she'd been as a young adult. I didn't even think I was getting an hour of walking a day. And that was sort of an eye-opening experience to realize that, you know, I'd gone from this you know, national university medal winner to someone who didn't even walk every day. So um, at one point, I decided to start a learn to run program with some with some friends. And uh, yeah, we just built up to 5k to run 5k. Paula enjoyed the social element of her new running group, but considered herself to be very much a recreational athlete. She dabbled in some road racing, setting a goal for herself of breaking 23 minutes for 5k. But otherwise, she didn't take it very seriously for the first few years. And then when I was um, 37, I had my third child and that sort of put running at the back burner again and I didn't run much. After she was born, it took a while to, uh, to get even my recreational fitness back. But when I turned 40, I sort of had this goal that my 40s, I wanted to be like my fittest and fastest of my life. And uh, that was my comeback again into the sport. And I, at that point in time, decided to, to see what I could do. And I might have built up to 25 or 30K a week, but I was more serious about my training. I'd built myself a training plan and I was coaching myself and enjoying the 5 and the 10K. And then I had um, sons who started to run as well. So I started to get into some coaching and I coached high school track and cross country. And 
really sort of fell in love with the sport again, got back involved, did some officiating and volunteering and race directing, and at the same time running more and more and realizing how much I'd missed um, this part of my life and was just sort of thrilled to get to get back into it. Paula capitalized on her renewed love of running. She wanted to test herself over the half marathon distance, but given that all of her guidance in the sport had come in the form of sprint and mid-distance coaching from her early racing days, she felt a bit like a fish out of water. She decided she needed someone to show her the ropes and reached out to coach Derek Sally. It was great. He took me from a 128 to a 121 in two years. And I had a lot to learn about fuel and hydration and GI issues and losing toenails and all that sort of stuff that comes with long distance running. And he was a, you know, he is a great teacher and has taught me a lot, but it was about um, just last fall after I ran my 121 half that I thought I wanted to uh, transition and, and try a marathon. So in November, we made the decision that uh, we were going to go through a marathon training cycle and see what we could do with a spring marathon. Paula and Derek set the Sugarloaf Marathon in Maine as their target event. Although Paula had technically already done two marathons about 10 years ago, they were more fun completion attempts. This time, she had a coach, a training plan, and a ton of motivation for what she considers her true debut at the distance. Of course, like all races scheduled this spring, the Sugarloaf Marathon, along with her other key events, was ultimately cancelled. It was one one weekend, just everything fell apart. I was uh, planning to go to the indoor uh, Masters National Track Championships this March. They were being held in St. John. And I was planning to race uh, World Masters because they were in Toronto this year. And I'd never done a world and I've never done a National Masters. So I thought, well, I should go to Indoor Nationals. So we were planning to go to Indoor Nationals. We were going to drive up Friday night. And we found out Thursday that it was canceled. So that was a heartbreaker. But when, that, when things started getting canceled left, right, and center, you know, we were pretty certain that we were going to lose, we were going to lose our marathon. And then when we did, my coach liked the idea of me continuing to train to finish the marathon training cycle, because it was not something I'd ever done before. And just to see how I'd respond to the distance plan. So I was game to, you know, continue the training. But at first, I wasn't sure if I wanted to actually go ahead and run a marathon that didn't count. Having not run a serious marathon, I've seen people do it, though, and know that it takes a long time to recover from it. And, you know, it's a big deal um, to run a 42.2 kilometer event that's not going to give you any standard or not going to give you any ranking or not going to be a, an official time. So for a few weeks there, it's like, OK, I'll just keep training. But I didn't really know if I was going to go ahead and, and race it. But as the uh, situation around the world developed it just looked like we had no idea when or where the next start line, official start line, was going to be. Paula knew she was fit and ready. Plus, this was the decade of fittest and fastest in her 40s. At 46, she says she didn't know how much longer she had to continue improving, and the thought of all that training going to waste was unbearable. By mid-April, the decision was clear. She was going to race a marathon, even if it meant doing it alone. And so tell us about this. I, I, I'm so curious about the setup. So you had obviously put in all the training. I guess let's start with um, at that point, even though you knew that the, the goal race was going to be canceled, did you and your coach have a sense of what the goal was going to be in terms of your performance? Should that race have taken place? Yeah, well, my um, coach, Derek, he is very much um, into heart rate training. So uh, 
I'm all about the pace. I want to know what pace I'm supposed to run. And he's all about the effort or the intensity, which was a big transition for me when I joined um, training with him two and a half years ago to learn how to train on effort, to not to train on pace. But once I figured it out, it was so helpful. I mean, it's so great for winter training when the conditions are bad, for hilly runs, for runs where you have headwinds, when you're not going to hit pace targets, but you can hit effort targets. So it was a big learning experience, but I think it was super positive because you can have great workouts, even though the times don't necessarily translate to what you're hoping for. But you know that your body and that your legs and that your brain have learned how to run and know what that feels like at those different intensity levels. So throughout the training cycle, yeah, we we threw um, numbers around about what marathon pace would be. But really for him and what he wanted me to learn was marathon effort and how to run um, a marathon based on heart rate. So b- between the heart rate and then comparing that to training runs, uh, we were we were quite hopeful that it would be a sub four minute um, per kilometer pace for the marathon. Which even though even when he started talking those numbers, it was they were hard for me to wrap my brain around because when I when I turned forty and decided okay I'm going to get fit and fast in my forties, my goal at that time was to run a twenty minute five k. So. I had I worked for a couple of years to try to run four minute Ks for five K, and then I worked for a couple of years to try to run four minute Ks for ten K, and then a year and a half ago I ran four minute Ks for half marathon, and now this year this heart rate data looking like I could run four minute Ks for forty two point two kilometers was hard to wrap my brain around. But he just didn't want me to get um, too intense on thinking about pace. It's just about heart rate, so it's it's not an issue if you or only thinking about your effort and not about the pace so much, but obviously the effort translates to the pace. So yeah, the sub four minute um, kilometer marathon was what we were, well, well, I was hoping for. And so a four minute K takes you to 248, 48-ish. So I was, my goal was to go under 248. You and your coach, obviously, as you said, you had gone through this, this big training plan. You were, as you mentioned, in the shape of your life. So now you're in this situation of deciding you're going to do a solo effort. And I think what a lot of listeners are curious about is, you know, the logistics of this, because of course, most major marathons, the draw for them is that it, it has 42 kilometers of roadway that are shut down with aid stations and police and porta potties. And you obviously didn't have the advantage of any of that. So how did you come up with your course and what were some of the logistical planning elements that went into this? Um, in the area where I live in Nova Scotia, um, there's a valley. It's called the Annapolis Valley. And there's beautiful rural roads to run. And I ran um, just west for 42.2 kilometers. I ran essentially almost on the same road straight for 42.2K. And the roads are quiet. I had no traffic lights and I had no, uh, I had to cross a couple roads, but I had good visual, visual. I could see if anybody was coming at no point in time was there, were there any vehicles that I had to stop for. It was better than, than I would have guessed to be running a, uh, a marathon without the race environment. Paula actually feels that she had more support during her solo effort than she would have had at Sugarloaf. Her friends and family set up cheer points and water stations along her route. And as she said earlier, many of them hopped into segments of the race to provide some much appreciated company. I didn't have a big race with a thousand people around me and I didn't have necessarily all that adrenaline, but I had my husband and my son who um, provided my fuel and hydration. And um, I had a couple friends who ran different segments of the, of the run with me. We did our very best um, to maintain our social distancing guidelines that Nova Scotia set out, but 
I mean, I did have 25 kilometers, I think, where I was running totally solo. But there, I had people, I had people cheering for me who I loved and cared about. And that, that type of support was huge. And if I had have gone and traveled to go to a race, I wouldn't have had that. Paula took this effort as seriously as she would have her actual race. Sugarloaf was originally scheduled for May 17th, so she wanted to stick to that date for her time trial. But she gave herself a three-day window in which to complete it. And yeah, I watched the weather. And on uh, last week, the week before, we had, well, Nova Scotia has notoriously terrible springs. We have cold, lots of precipitation, lots of wind, not lovely springs. And last week, we had snow on one day. But the uh, forecast for the long weekend, Saturday, it poured. And I was definitely not going to run my marathon in the pouring rain. But Sunday, was they were calling for, I think, an afternoon high of 14 degrees. Start time was going to be about six degrees and a light wind. So it was sort of perfect on, on Sunday. However, it, uh, it warmed up really fast. So I started my race at 8am. Coach wanted me to start earlier, but I had to get my teenager up out of bed. He was my videographer. He actually made me a, uh, a, doc, a little, you could call it a documentary or monumentary, uh, breaking three. <laughs> he was going to come with his drone and get some great video footage. And I didn't want to have to ask him to get up at five in the morning. So we left Windsor at 630 to, uh, to drive because I live east of where the start was. So we were running from west to east. So we started at 8am, not a cloud in the sky, absolutely gorgeous, beautiful start line pictures, beautiful footage. Although the day sounds idyllic, the cloudless sky meant that there was no shade from what very quickly turned into a hot sun beating down on the open roads. Within an hour, the temperature rose from 6 to 14 degrees. By the time Paula crossed her finish line, it was 20. Having not done any heat training, this felt oppressive. But the conditions weren't the only challenging aspect of her solo attempt. And so how did you actually feel during the run? I, I guess during the race, we'll call it, because you didn't have all that stimulus of people around you to help push you or, you know, live bands on course. And I, I know you had support from your family, which sounds lovely, but you, it sounds to me like, you know, you missed out on some of those other stimuli. How did you feel and how did you stay motivated throughout your, your race? Well, the first part of my race, I had um, I had about five and a half k of skirt and gravel roads, which I'm not a trail runner. I don't like trail at all, so I don't even like a dirt road or gravel road. But I was really glad that was at the beginning of the race because, and I mean, I keep calling it a race. It was a solo time trial, but in my head, it was a race. So at the beginning of the race, um, when I got past that section. I, it was just like a huge pick me up because now I know it was pavement for the rest of the way. So that was that was a big motivator. Just get through that section at the beginning. Having never run a serious marathon, I was ready for the physical pain. Like I knew that the last ten was going to be awful. I was I was totally prepared for that. What I wasn't ready for was the mental anguish. <laughs> the uh, the middle the middle was so much harder than I was expecting. First 10, no problem. Got to 20 caves, feeling pretty good. But that 20 to 32 kilometers, um, my heart rate was on target. My pace was on target. So physically, I was doing exactly what I was supposed to do. My heart rate was saying I wasn't working too hard. Um, my pace was right where I wanted it to be. I mean, I was just running sub 40, 10 caves. That was the goal to sort of keep doing that. Um, but mentally, it was so hard because there was just there was so much race left. Like when you hit the 25K mark, there's still so much running left to do. So that, and this was a section where 
it was kind of lonely. I, I had a friend at the beginning, I had a friend at the end, but in the middle, I was, I was all by myself for a lot of it. Um, and I had, you know, my support crew were stopping every four kilometers and I was grabbing a drink and that was good, but it was, it was lonely that it was really lonely, um, in that 20 to 32 K, which is a long time to about, you know, 12 kilometers to not be feeling good. And yeah, I wasn't prepared for that. The last 10 K hurt and just kept getting harder and harder, but it didn't get mentally harder. It was only physically hard. And I was ready for that. You're ready for physical pain at the end of a marathon. You don't expect to feel good. You expect you have to work really hard. But yeah, the mental was hard. And my coach was there on site and he was, you know, he was yelling at me all the right things. And he was saying, you know, it's completely normal. 28 to 32 is the darkest place for everybody who's going to turn around at 32. But I didn't know. I didn't, I didn't know if it was going to, but it did. Like at 32, when you're in that last 10K to go, it's, you know, it feels doable again. And I'd read Meb's book this winter. And, you know, one of the things he had said was about how the halfway of the marathon is not at 13 miles. Halfway of the marathon is at 20 miles. And I kind of kept telling that to myself. Like when I got to 20, 21K, I had a great 123 split. I was really happy with that. But I, I kept telling myself, okay, you know, that's that's great. You're doing well, but keep holding it back. Keep yourself together. It's not You're not halfway there yet. So you may be halfway there in distance, but you're not halfway there in effort. So when I got to the 32 kilometer mark, that was another picking up. And to know that it's only 10K to go, like I kept, you know, every kilometer, okay, only 40 more minutes, only 36 more minutes, only 32 more minutes. And obviously I knew, I knew I could do it. So the mental wasn't, uh, it wasn't a mental game anymore. It was just a physical game. I was just, I was tiring and I was just trying to hold this together physically. But uh, yeah, that mental, mental middle was tough. Paula crossed her finish line in 2.47.50 almost exactly one minute faster than her goal time. This is obviously an incredible result for any marathoner, but for a solo effort and a debut, this felt like an extraordinary accomplishment. But Paula hasn't been a stranger to success in recent years, not just on the roads, but also the venue where she first fell in love with running, the track. So earlier this year, you set the Canadian W45 indoor 5,000 meter record. Uh, You've run just over 18 minutes for 5K. You've also got a 10K PB of just over 37 minutes. And now you've run this spectacular solo marathon. Is there a distance that you enjoy the most? Right now, it's the half marathon. I really love the half marathon. It hurts less than the 5K. And it doesn't have that same mental game that the marathon just did for me even though I'm only one marathon in but yeah I love 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 the uh the half marathon right now um I was looking forward to when I was going to go to the indoor uh, nationals for track this um March I was going to run an 800 and 1500 and when I was in yeah university days I only really went up to 800 so I was looking forward to sort of exploring what 1500 meters feels like um, 1500, 3000, I think it would have been, would have been fun. I still love the track. I, uh, I call it my happy place. I don't go to the track that often, except for when I'm coaching or cheering on my, uh, my sons who are, who run track, but I'm, I'm really not ready to limit myself in any sort of distance. Like I'm definitely going to do more, another marathon. I want to do an official marathon, but I want to run a 1500 on the track as well. Yeah. I still love doing it all. So obviously you had the exposure to the track uh, as a kid and and maybe not all masters runners have had that, but 
I think a lot of roadrunners um, get a little bit pigeonholed. And many folks, you know, if they start with a, a running story, they might start with a 5K and then there's sort of this um, this pressure almost to move up in distance. So you've raced a 5K, now it's time for a 10 and now it's time for a half and then a full. And I think there's not nearly as many people that do what you do and really explore that vast range of distance. Do you have anything to say to listeners about the benefit, um, perhaps both physically, but also in terms of the fun or the motivation of exploring that really wide range? I mean, 800 to marathon is about as wide as it gets, and you don't hear that very often. Well, a, a couple of years ago, my uh, track club, we were going for a uh, trying to win a provincial club championship title. And there aren't a lot of Masters runners in Nova Scotia. So the more events we, um, as the Masters coaches did, the more points we're going to get. I was pretty much guaranteed to win or score points in any event that I went into. So um, at that indoor champs, I did the 60-meter hurdles. I I did the 200 and the 400 and the 60. Um, at an outdoor track meet that same year, I threw in the javelin. I threw a shot put. I did a long jump and a triple jump and a 100 and a 200 and 400. So, yeah, I, I have done it all. Um quite recently in my 40s. And now I've done a marathon. Um, because it's fun. That's it. I mean, there's so many, I have lots and lots of running friends who um, are, are new runners. I am a part of a uh, run club called the Mountain View Runners. And we are all paces, all faces, everyone is welcome. And you're right, so many people just want to move up in distance. And I really do try to encourage people, why not stick with the five for a while? Why not work on getting faster before you work on going farther? I think that you're way less likely to uh, get an injury. And I mean, I've seen it time and time again, people are, get injured running too far um, before they really have had a chance to uh, learn proper form and learn how to uh, get a, you know, a nice high cadence that's less likely to injure themselves. And they're running these long races and long distances. And then all of a sudden they, they aren't running for three months. They're not running for six months. And most recreational and fun masters runners are just, they're running for fun. And it's not fun when you're sitting on the couch. So um, here in Nova Scotia, we have um, like a, a road race series that has five tens and some halves and a couple fulls, but it's mainly five and 10 Ks. And I, I just think it's, fun what i think is fun is fun to race i love to race last year i ran i think 18 road races last year and then some track races thrown in there as well and when you train for the marathon you only get to race twice a year and i couldn't i i couldn't imagine only racing twice a year i like racing every second weekend that's the fun part and that's also you know during this time with races canceled i know i need to keep planning more of these time trials because that's i love i love that as part of my training to have a little you know don't have a, a race every second weekend but i can have a two-day taper run a race have a recovery run and uh, off i go again so i think racing is fun no matter what level you're doing it at it's clear that paula has an affinity for challenging herself and while it doesn't look like there will be any organized race opportunities anytime soon i asked about her future goals and how she feels about her career thus far I know I can go faster. I know if I have uh, a favorable, I had a great course. I had, I think I had about 150 meters of eleva elevation gain and maybe 190 meters of elevation loss. So I had a little bit more down than up. But I have seen, I, I mean, I've, I've been looking at race courses. I was looking at the uh, California International Marathon. I've seen courses that, you know, have almost no gain and a lot of downhill. Um, so I could probably find a little bit faster course. I certainly would want to find a course that didn't have um, any gravel and uh, potholes which I had a lot of those in the beginning of my race and I know with um with people around me 
even though I did feel the adrenaline of my race, I know that there would be more adrenaline in a, in a big event. So I know I can go faster. I have a, uh, another, there's a Nova Scotian who, uh, she's in the uh, 50 to 54 year old category. Her name is Denise Robson and uh, she's a running friend of mine. And she just recently, uh, this year set the Canadian 50 to 54 year old record of, she ran a 249.01 and I think she can go even faster. So I have great role models close by, close to home who uh, are showing and proving that, you know, age, age just a number that we can continue to, I mean, Denise, Denise was a, a amazing marathoner. She's been doing it for many years, but she's still competing at a high level. So, you know, I, I feel like I've got years of, I'm going to have years of improvement. One thing I try not to do is think about what I could have done 15 years ago because a whole lot of life has happened and, you know, you can't go back in time. I know that if I was training for a marathon, you know, when I was 30 years old, I would be faster than I am now. But, you know, I had other great things happening in my life. I had highs and lows and was living life at that time. And, you know, running wasn't a part of it at the time. So all I am doing is focusing on the present and the future and, uh, yeah, seeing how far I can take it. There are so many Canadian masters women, to your point, that are doing just unbelievable things. And, and it's becoming less unbelievable because it's becoming more frequent. But we're really seeing this sort of pushing of the boundary with age, particularly with our Canadian women. Of course, Melinda Elmore set the Canadian record at 224.50 at age 39. And there's many other women, um, Denise Robson, as you mentioned, Catherine Watkins, Marilyn Arsenault, yourself, all of these women uh, in their 40s and into their 50s even who are just really continuing to not only keep in touch with the joy of running, but also running really, really fantastic times. Uh, you mentioned Denise. Are there other um, female role models in Canada that you really turn to for inspiration? Or or just how do you feel about being sort of part of this moment that we're all having right now in, in the Canadian women's uh, master scene? It, it kind of doesn't even feel real. I don't really feel like I can put myself um, anywhere near um, those women in terms of the quality of runner I am because just a, you know it wasn't that long ago I was just running 21 minute 5ks I, I just don't it all sort of happened quickly for me so I, I still see those those women as you know in a different stratosphere than me but um, it's great it's great to see what what they're doing and what can be done and uh, I'm excited to see how far I can take it. Hmm. So you did an interview with Canadian Running back in 2016, and at that time, you said, my goal is to set Nova Scotia Masters records in every track distance and bring more enthusiasm to the Masters track and field scene here. And it sounds like you are well on your way to accomplishing those goals. How are you feeling about all of that four years down the road now? Well, it was a big disappointment with the loss of the uh, the World Masters. I mean, I know a lot of people worked really hard in Toronto to bring that to Toronto and worked hard for five years. So, you know, having lost that, that was really tough because we, we just, we got a lot of enthusiasm. Um, there was a Canadian Masters uh, track and field Facebook group and lots of talk and lots of photos and people encouraging one another to, uh, you know, to take up the sport again. A lot of people who thought they had, you know, put their spikes away for good were pulling them out again. So it, it's going to be tough to come back from, but not not impossible at all. And I, I just think that when the world reopens, people are going to be ready for new opportunities and uh, breaking boundaries that uh, maybe they didn't even realize that were, were possible. So it is hard, though. It's hard to uh, combine your, your track season with your 
road running season. But what I've discovered is that indoor track is where it's at because, you know, the conditions can be horrible in the winter. So the uh, idea of running, I've run more indoor track races in the last three years than I have run outdoor track races. And fun thing with that is that with indoor track races, you get to run against the university girls. When I was uh, when I was in high school, I had a great group of high school runners, and we would run with the university girls, and that was that was pretty fun to run with them, and sometimes beat them. And then now that I'm a masters runner, I've been like chatting with some of my uh, university teammates, um, Sherry Boyle, who's in Calgary, and Cindy Crowther, who's in Vancouver, and uh, Radian Hill, who's in Halifax. We're all worth Dal together, and I think I think we could. We could give uh, the Dell cross country team a run for their money, the four of us. So if something like that could ever happen, that would be so fun. Um, all of us in our late forties uh, racing, racing the youngins. But you know, it it just shows it shows people that you don't running is not a sport that uh, you have to finish when you finish university. That you can you can keep going and and move forward in it. And it's a sport you can come back to, you know, if you want to focus on your career for 10 years, or you want to have a family, you know, it's something that you can come back to. It's some people I know continue it through life. And some people say goodbye at the end of the university career, but it's, it's always there and it's waiting for you. And just the idea of uh, getting back into it slowly and getting back into it in a smart way. Um, you know, your physio and your massage therapist are going to be more important to you than they ever were before as an older runner. But um you know, my favorite hashtag is faster as a master. And, uh, and that's what I'm going for. Thank you to Paula for speaking with us this week. And we wish her a comfortable recovery from that blazing fast solo marathon. You can learn more about Paula and check out the video her son made of her race by visiting runningmagazine.ca. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Shakeout Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to our show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for tuning in and we'll talk again soon.